Hi, welcome to the Xbox World Strongcast. Hope you're all well out there and uh, having a good day. Uh, with me today, we've got uh, Mike. Hi. And Matt. Hello. And I'm, um, of course, Tim. Uh, and we're going to be talking loads about uh, the new games that are out there. We're also going to be talking to Mike about his trip to Japan. Went out to Tokyo Game Show for a day, but most of the time just... Just on holiday. Just on holiday, really. So it's a nice holiday in Japan. Pretty hot in Japan, I hear. <sighs> Yeah, like, I didn't know what the uh, definition of unbearable heat was until I went to Japan. I knew Japan had badass summers, but um, I didn't expect the humidity. I've been to desert in America, you know, been to Las Vegas, and it's like this dry-ass 35-degree heat. I mean, nothing compared to 32 degrees with the humidity the Humidity's a killer, isn't it? It's a killer. You said you've been, like... Yeah, we went, because we my wife's in South Africa, and she's from the east coast of South Africa, which is the Indian, Indian Ocean side, and it's the humidity there is just unbelievable. I remember one year we went out, it was 40 degrees and 100% humidity. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I just can't... I physically can't operate as a human being in that <laughs> in that kind of humidity. Yeah, you can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't move. I mean, to be fair, though, like what we did was we sort of leapfrogged from shop to shop in Japan with their Arctic strength air conditioning going yeah. on. Let me tell you, if you want to be cold in Japan, just go to a pachinko parlor. Yeah. Those places are everywhere, and it's like a blizzard in yeah. there. It's like a blizzard. They love their pachinko, don't they? I, I, can't, I can't make head and tail of the game, to be no, honest. No, I never but figured it out. It was rammed out. There was one street I was going through anyway, you know, where it was, um, God, it must have been like 100 yards of... Pachinko, all owned by the same company. It was just one one building, which was been they just knocked the walls through again and again and again and again. Mm. And as they have, they've got the they double glazed the place, and as soon as the doors open, all you can hear is click, 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 all the balls just mm. cascading. Doors close again, silence. Yeah, it's uh, like there's a lot of um, I think there's a lot of stereotypes about the Japanese that are true. Same as there'd be a lot of stereotypes about the British that are true when yeah. you come over here. But there's a lot which are like patently false, but one which is definitely true. Is that they they love some pachinko? They love, they love some pachinko. They also love a they love a good burning in Japan. They love a good burning. Every time you go to like um, a shrine or anything, it'll always be like, of course, this is it'll be a plaque saying a placard in, in Japanese and English, and it'll say this shrine was built to celebrate Emperor whoever blah blah blah. You know, he was one of the modernists of uh, Japan. And, you're like, oh, that's interesting. And it'll say at the bottom, it'll be like, of course, this is the actual, uh, this is a new shrine. This is a replica of the original shrine that stood here 800 years ago, which was burned down uh, during you know, some war. And then the replacement statue shrine was built 100 years later, and that was burned during a war. And then there was another shrine which was also, also burned down. And it's just an endless succession of this place was burned down, this place was burned down. Um, and... It becomes quite apparent that, like, you know, Japan's like a really warlike nation. They, yeah. they, they made a lot of war for yeah, a lot, did, for a real yeah. long time. Uh, they, got, they were really good at it. But one thing they loved was a really good burning. Like, they all, this is primarily a Buddhist country, like, but everyone sort of disagrees, everyone agrees that Buddhism is sort of like a peaceful religion, but everyone's kind of disagrees on just, I think, how peaceful it should be mm. and certain ideas within the religion. So what they do is they have a war and then they go, uh, I don't, I don't agree with his version of the, my religion, so I just burn that shit down. Right, so they yeah. just torch the whole lot. And because it's wood, it just goes. Yeah, it's yeah. not like over here. You have a disagree. If you have like two Christian religions have a disagreement, you can set fire to whatever you want in that church. The fact is, it's made of stone. It's probably going to survive a bit of burning, and you can rebuild afterwards. Not in Japan. So the oldest shrine I saw was something like 300 years old. It's one of the final surviving shrines because anything the Japanese didn't get themselves over like a thousand year period the Americans got in World War Two. Yeah. These are wooden cities. And because of that, Tokyo is a really weird place. Because it's you go to Tokyo 
and everything's new. You know, you go to Bristol or London and you see these ugly ass office blocks or industrial buildings that were built in like 1950. Mm -hmm. There was nothing there, it was just rubble, so they had to fling up a building in its place as fast as possible so you could do business, you know? So they built these really ugly old tenements, these ugly old blocks, and it just looks rotten. And that'll be sitting right next to a building which was, which did survive the <coughs> war, you know, it just did survive the German Blitz, and it's uh, a beautiful building. Uh, Japan only has mm. the the new buildings. Yeah, Japan only, Tokyo only has the buildings which which were built in the fifties and the sixties. And as a result, it's not, just Tokyo is not a good looking city at all. And surprisingly not a very tall city, not in a way like Shanghai is or something mm. like the skyscrapers aren't, there are skyscraper districts, but none of them are as tall as you would expect or as great as you'd expect or as beautiful as you would expect. It's actually quite like an unattractive city mm. like at ground level. But what it does have is because they, I guess they kind of started from scratch after a second. Well, I don't really know the history, but it's, the city's kind of grown organically. So even though it's like a lot of very new buildings, it still feels like a city that's grown on its own rather than a city that was planned and designed like Milton Keynes or something, you know, and built by planners. So it's still got a real nice vibe to it where you go to different areas and every area's got its own vibe, its own energy, its own sort of thing. You've got like, you know, you've got Harajuku, which is the fashion district. When people, gra when people graduate from the Shibuya fashion, they go to Harajuku and... You got Akihabara, which everybody knows is like a tech area, which I thought was kind of dull, actually. Yeah, so it was a bit not so good. If I'd gone there ten years ago when I was still a collector, I would have lost my mind. Please tell me you went to Super Potato. I went to Super Potato and I was in there and I was amazed at the well, stuff. Super there. Potato. Super Potato is right. like a game shop where they just sell old, old vintage stuff, mm. like Virtual Boys. They got a copy of Virtual Lab there, which is like one of the rarest video games ever. It's like the rarest game on Virtual Boy. Um, Virtual Boy, man, yeah. life. <laughs> They have like PC Engine stuff, like old uh, old Famicoms, old SNES games. Got a throne made out of NES carts or something. Got all sorts of stuff there. And um, I went there and I was like, man, I said to my girlfriend, like, if I'd come here 10 years ago, I probably would have spent like 500 quid. Mm. Easy. But these days I'm kind of just happy to like emulate old games and, mm. and sort of just just play them any way I can and play them in the best way possible. And invariably, like, the best way to play a SNES game these days is not to play it on a SNES mm. because the output on it is like a, a crappy old AV output. And So I just try and play games as best I can. I'm not, I'm not like a purist. I'm not about getting the authentic experience. I don't need the game to be in a box or anything. Mm. But if you are a collector, Super Potato is amazing. But it's really hard to find. You walk in the street, it's just like you'll see a drawing of a potato. Yeah. And, and you, you look, you look <laughs> around the corner and it's just like a dark staircase leading up to nowhere but oh god not sure about that you uh you'll sort of look in you're like can i go in here i, I guess because they don't have a ground floor presence and a lot of shops are like this in japan and so something they don't prepare you for you go to japan and they build buildings tall and thin all over the place like a build like an eight-story building will be like one shop wide and there'll be eight shops one on each floor and it'll go all the way up. Mm. So you just walk in the store, you'll be like, oh, I don't want the manga that's on the ground floor. I want the video games. And that's on, that's a video game shop is run by someone else. Mm -hmm. And that's on the sixth floor. So you take the escalator all the way up and it's the clothes shops are like that, the game shops are like that, the tech shops are like that. And um, uh, Japan's, um, Japan's manga is interesting. <laughs> I went to, um, I went to a shop and it was at, at knee height on me, so at child height, in the store in Akihabara, there was 
a manga with the co- the cover of which was a girl naked just just with her nipples and her, uh, her lady bits covered I'm trying to keep it delicate mm. for the podcast um, with, with stuff in her right and a ball gag in her mouth my life and she's all tied up and I was looking at it I was like wait a second and there's a whole wall of this and it goes from floor to ceiling and it's just all hentai stuff right mm. I thought- but I, I, was, I was convinced, because you know, over here in Britain, like, that stuff goes on the top shelf. But in Japan, it doesn't, because they're like, well, it's censored. It's censored, right? We, 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 cover, up, we cover all the parts that would cause any offence, mm. so it's okay to put it at that height. Because in Japan, all porn is censored. Yeah. And that was, that was like, to my English brain, and I'm not like a, a prude or anything, but to my English brain, that was like, that's so weird. Because mm. like, it means that from a young age, you go in, and <clears> it's on the ground floor. The kids' manga was on the floor above. So to get to the kids' stuff, you have to walk to the back of the store, go up the escalator and get to that stuff. So, I found it so jarring. I'd be, like, browsing Nintendo DS games. I'd turn a corner and suddenly, like, hardcore hentai is yeah, right my so face. Yeah, sex is fully up in your grill in Japan in, in a way that it just isn't over here. Mm. But, again, because it's all censored. It's like, that's cool. It's not going to cause anyone offence. It's censored, right? It's censored. And... Um, that was weird. That was seriously. The other weird thing is um, vending machines everywhere, and everybody kind of knows about that. And everyone jokes all oh, the vending machines with pants, and I didn't actually see any of those. But I did see drinks machines everywhere. Imagine if you had drinks machines everywhere in Britain. Mm. How quickly were those things kicked in? Yeah, and you would get kicked. You'd put install them on a Friday, and by Monday morning, you have to, you have to cart them away in a mm. skip. Like it's great. There's a, there's a civility over there, I think, which is uh, they had to even remove nice. the ticket machine from Trowbridge train station because that kept getting destroyed. That's what I mean, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Sort of, it would be interesting for a sort of psychol someone with some sort of psychology kind of uh, uh, you know degree or experience that like, to go to to Japan and give a kind of take on it because they are such a very civil nation, you know, well, you know and yet it, they've got very violent history and yeah, you know, like and, we've got this hentai on grind, you know. Well, you know, speaking about like um, like things that like stereotypes that are true about the Japanese, there are a lot which I found to be like false. And first time, it's my first time in Japan. It's probably like a load of people listening to this podcast. Probably a few Japanese people listening, going, "Yeah, well, of course we knew that. That's true." But hey, I mean, in my ignorance, I had no idea. You know, you go over there and you 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 hear like, "Oh, Japan's actually like you know the the, the politeness, the civility is is incredible," and it is and it isn't. Anyone who's paid to be polite, just just calm down. Don't. It's okay. You don't have to be that polite, you know. Because we're used, we're used to walking into a store in London and having someone like hold you in absolute contempt for daring to walk into their store. Mm. In Japan, everyone's so great. They, 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 the gratitude they show for you, your custom, is so much. It's just it's it's overbearing. And at the same time, everywhere you go in Japan, there's someone shouting at you. Like every shop front will have someone standing in front of it, shouting, hollering into the street, "Come and get this here. We got all this cool stuff." Hooting and hollering. That's like something I had no idea mm. about. When I went to Shanghai, you're besieged on all sides. If you're a Western dude over there, and I started pretending to be German, uh, <laughs> going nine nine Deutschland, Deutschland, um, I, I would um, you'd just be besieged by people selling you stuff, wanting to talk to you, want to practice English, you watch name it. Watch back DVD people. Watch back DVD people. Watch back DVD. I was followed the entire length of one of the streets there by someone going, "Watch back DVD." Um, Movies, movies. You like movies? Video games. You like video games? Watch bag. Watch watches. You like bags? Trousers. We got trousers. We got suits. You like suits? All the way. Like that's what you get in Shanghai. You don't get that in Japan. No one's like getting up in your pestering, grill. No one's pestering yeah. your personal space. But they are. Um, 
they are shouting and selling their stuff in a way that I kind of didn't expect. You said you had a toilet story that we told you not to tell us beforehand so you could save it for the podcast. Yeah, so everybody knows about the Japanese toilets, right? Well, I think it's worth repeating because I didn't, I didn't realise until yesterday. I was saying to Mike yesterday in the office that I listened to, um, I listened to Radio 5 on the way home last on the way home yesterday afternoon and uh, uh, that Carl Pilkington from An Idiot Abroad was yeah. on there and he was talking he'd obviously been to Japan in his new series and he was just talking about well you know what he's like but he was talking about the toilets and saying that there's a mechanism to kind of there's a flush noise to cover yeah. the sound of you well, dropping your when I, when your, I sat on my toilet in the, the hotel pool. like you, you so I sit down and it just starts trickling water into the bowl just spinning the water basically pulling it out of the bowl and sprinkling it back in to cover the sounds of your your pissing into the bowl mm. it's funny it's like there's so many things in Japan that's designed to hide your your stuff from other people mm. you know which is crazy because when I was on the uh, the bullet train we went to Kyoto as well which is I actually recommend Kyoto above Tokyo it was really good uh, they had three toilets on the train they had a woman's Japanese toilet a men's Japanese toilet and a western toilet so I used the western toilet but the the men's and women's Japanese toilets are like squatting toilets you stand over them basically and you just you drop your mm. your business into the yeah. into the hole um, needless to say I avoided the more trip long when I was there's a window in the door <laughs> really? you could see the guy taking a piss <laughs> Really? You could see into the... Like, so I walked along and I saw the guy's <laughs> back. And I was like, I can't piss here. Because you face... What, not a, in the Western one, in the no, Japanese one. in the Japanese one. You face away from the door, you see. But there's a window there. Uh, I'm sorry, no. And a big window. You need privacy. Well, the Western one had uh, privacy. Oh, yeah. So I am um, on my first day there at our hotel. And well, I was so tired. I'm jet lagged like crazy. And uh, we arrived. Um, and you can't check in at hotels over there until three in the afternoon. That is some bullshit. I was not prepared for that. Like, I was really not prepared for that. So we ended up wandering around Tokyo completely knackered out of our minds before we could even check in. So I go and check in. And I was like, oh, man, i got to test this. Because we sat down on the toilet. And as soon as you sit down, you're aware of a, certain, a few things. One, it's made the toilet's making noises to hide your noises. Two, it's warming the seat up for you. That's nice. So you get like a, a little warm bumsy. That's nice. And then three is that it's got two two different cleaning systems one is like a douche kind of thing for ladies mm. like it, it sprays a fine mist at your lady bits yeah you know, keeping it delicate yeah, for, yeah and the other one is like a bidet and i was like i want to try this bidet this is this, this, this is awesome so for, I, when i sat down on my toilet in the hotel and saw a control panel with no fewer than half a dozen buttons it terrified me yeah i was i tried every button so i didn't dare i, well, I just no i tried every button and i got the last button was the bidet button and let me tell you that was a surprise i uh, i pressed it and I, I i kid you not you hear the arm come out and then there's a pause and i kid you not if i walk to the other side of this room bent over, parted my cheeks, and you, stood on this side of the room, put your pinky finger out, took a run-up, <laughs> and drove it into my butthole, you wouldn't be able to hit my butthole as hard as that water did. <laughs> it was like... It was like a bunghole-seeking missile. It was... It couldn't have been aimed more perfectly. It was like... 
<laughs> Maybe there's like someone in a control room. I was thinking I was with like, a they, camera. I was like, surely, surely Japan isn't so technologically advanced that they've got a laser which can sense <laughs> the anus. The anus. <laughs> the, the bung. But it hit so perfectly. It basically lifted me off the seat. That's it was. <laughs> it, it was amazing. In a, a sm- in a startling way, you know, in a way that I. I didn't dislike. No, yeah. Anus <laughs> laser. I tell you what, though, that, that, that's uh, from, from fresh feeling. Yeah. Another weird thing about Japan, no hand dryers anywhere. People carry towels with them, like flannels with them. They just, oh, if they yeah, need to okay. use a toilet, they wash their hands and they'll just oh, wipe yeah. Another thing, no one has decent phones. How, how did, did, uh, would anybody expect that? Everyone has shitty flip phones. Right. Like, I mean, bear in mind, they're state-of-the-art flip phones, but no one's got, like... Brand new, um, brand new Androids, brand new iPhones. Well, that's not true. A few people do, but generally speaking, most people prefer to use the old flip phones. Right. And their internet access is entirely done. There's no touch screen through like a little thumb pad and stuff. I couldn't believe that. Really? That, that really surprised me. That's interesting because it's sort of uh, we're always talking in you know when we talk about Japanese development and stuff, we're always talking about how old old fashioned they are in terms of their their kind of. I think I think Japan, like certainly Tokyo, they 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 liked the phones that they were using, so they stuck with them. Yeah, well, it's the same as their development. They like they like what they were doing, so they stuck with it. Yeah, you know. So it's um, quite an interesting parallel. Japan's the bomb, though, right? You were saying you weren't sure about going because no, I'd love to go. I'd love to go. I just wonder what the uh, The language barrier is easy. I wonder how Japanese people get on over here, though, because in Japan, if you go to a restaurant, you know exactly what you're getting before you even walk in. There'll be photos of the food you're going to get, and it will be a very accurate photo or a plastic Plastic model, and then you just point to what you You just point to what you want. But over here, it's like the menu is just a list of words. You know, I, I think I did tell the story when I went a few years ago in. We were, so we went to um, somewhere that wasn't touristy. It was like a noodle bar, which was a bit more of a struggle to order, um, especially we, as a we guy. Stuck told, to, we stuck to the non-touristy areas, especially as, well. as the guy um, told me that told us orig- originally it was me and Dayla uh, that he could speak English, and then when we started speaking English to him, he just looked on plus. Stared at you blank. Um, so it was such a struggle to order that I didn't for a moment consider that. That wasn't the hard part. Ordering wasn't the hard part. Figuring out how to eat was the tough bit. So I got what you would, a noodle equivalent of, I guess, like a, a McDonald's meal. So you got like um, your noodles and you got your meat and you what, got like this. like a bento, this. like a, in a box, all of it Oh, no, 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 it was on a tray and it okay. was like uh, different things. Um, and then there was this liquid and I, I got it and it's like, well, it's not in a cup. So is that a drink? Is it? Sauce? Yeah. Is it dipping things to wash my fingers? I just had a little sip. I was like, don't really like this as a drink. Let's make it a sauce. So I like poured it all over. Um, what was it? I think it was a drink because some guy came in later on and had the same thing and he seemed to be drinking, drinking from it. it. So was like, it orange or green? Oh, I don't know. Probably it's green tea. A few years ago now, but um, so I basically did the equivalent of pouring my tea over my fish and chips, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> I um. The food is amazing. The food is badass. Like the most average, like um, belt sushi bar you go to, will be better than a decent belt sushi place over here. The rice is just tastier. They they use I think a different, a slightly different vinegar in the rice, and it's really really nice. It tastes like I'm I, off of this trip. I've bought myself a rice cooker so I can just sit and have perfect sushi rice again and again. Because I could sit there with a bowl of sticky Japanese rice. And some soy sauce and just happily munch on it. It's, mm. it's, it's amazing. I did get sick of the food by the end, though. I was happy to come back and have some proper 
English food. Just well, something with some half, substance. Halfway through the week, I was like, you know what? I could go for something a bit Western, right? So we went to a, a pizza place. And I ordered a pizza. And from a, it's an authentic Italian place. It's, it's supposedly run by an Italian guy. Staffed entirely by Japanese dudes. But it's uh, run by an Italian guy. And um, I ate... I, I, what becomes very quickly apparent is that the Japanese palate is a lot more delicate than the British one. They eat a lot less as well. And guess what? You don't actually feel hungry. It's, you, you don't need to eat as much as you do over here. But the, um, the piece I got was a base, a pizza base with a salad on it and prosciutto ham on top. I was like, that's not a pizza, dude. That, that's, that what you just served me isn't a pizza. That's bread. That's a, that's a sandwich. Um, what a pizza it needs tomato sauce and cheese and a base. And I've got a base, but I don't have the other two thirds of my pizza. So my girlfriend was like, well, actually, I quite fancy a salad so we can swap. So I swapped and I had her one, which is like a, a ham mushroom pizza. And the, it was like the mildest cheese imaginable, the mildest tomato sauce imaginable. And then the mildest ham imaginable. So it's like a pizza, but with only 20% of the flavor you'd mm. expect. It's like they, they like their food mild over there. Even the soft drinks, the, the native Japanese soft drinks, not like Coca-Cola or whatever, which obviously you can get. And the native Japanese soft drinks, which are, I quite took a liking to Aquarius. It's like a kind of lemony water kind of thing. But they're all super mild. I think they just like, I think it's favored. Yeah. Like softer taste great place though yeah go give it a visit man it's wicked but I went to TGS too talk about what I saw there a little bit later on yeah so let's talk a little bit about a Japanese game Matt you've been playing a bit of uh, Dark Souls uh, yes and really enjoying it really 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 enjoying it uh, I think Mike's copy's coming today so oh gonna... I'm looking forward to that yeah so by the time well, you guys uh, listen to this we'll, with a bit of luck we'll, we'll be playing Dark I can't, Souls I, I, I think I have to talk about it in very roundabout ways because review embargoes and whatnot. One of one of the interesting things that sort of cropped up on the web the past couple of days is people were like oh it's bigger than Skyrim yeah well I mean, is the, world, the, the world is huge. Or is it's it just a, because it's much, much harder? It might be it's longer it's than it's Skyrim. It's a, yeah. it's a combination, and it depends on how you want to view it. I mean, they're, they're sort of different games. Skyrim, if you if you just do the main story of Skyrim, if it's anything like Oblivion, you'll polish that off in no more than 15 hours, probably under. Um, but then, I mean, Oblivion, you could finish that main quest line in eight hours, and I spent 250 hours in my game file yeah. and I didn't do all the side quests so I didn't find all the locations so it's I don't know when, you, when you're talking about sizes and lengths it's very hard to to compare these types of games um, Dark Souls is again very different but it's length is sort of like stacks upon itself because it's not just going A to Z it's going A to B A to B to C B to C B to A to B to C to just to get to a stage where you can progress further and further mm. and further because it's a very very tough game and um, it is tougher than Demon Souls and even the people who are extremely extremely good at Demon Souls and I'm not like just saying oh I'm amazing at Demon Souls because there are people out there who are far far better at it than me um, people in the industry who who have finished it multiple times they're all agreeing that you know it's it's tougher. It's mm. tougher than Demon Souls. It perhaps might be bordering on the realms of being too tough mm. at times, 
but I mean, this is the appeal of Dark Souls. And it's a very niche thing. I think it's going to be a, a big shock to the system of a lot of people who just walk in expecting their typical fantasy RPG because that is not what they've got. They've got a very... In the same way that you have the old Mega Man games and like the, the challenge was in like completing them on the stairs. Mm. You know, you got your, your money's worth out of that game by playing it over and over again and perfecting levels and getting to a stage where you knew all the enemy patterns and you knew what was coming and, uh, and you could deal with it. You know, when you put it in, in for the first 10 minutes, it's just blitzing you with seemingly impossible scenarios. How are you going to get past? How are you going to get past? And it's only through perseverance that you do so. Do so. Dark Souls is, is a very similar type of game. Only you've got some help systems in place. You've got the online components. Um, which, of course, which aren't active brilliantly. At the moment, yeah. the, 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 I think the trouble for guys reviewing it at the moment... And in fact, I put the brakes on um, and we stopped playing um, debug code because retail's coming in, um, coming yeah, in today. Retail code today. And that's the proper way to play it. So in fact, we're putting a hold on, on what we're doing. We're going to play it legit. Um, so, you, so the online help systems involve things like people essentially tweeting messages to each other. You can leave markers on the ground. It looks like three red claw marks, essentially. And they'll have like things like, you know, watch out ahead or yeah, run away or a, look, watch your left. ice to the right or something. So yeah. you know around the next corner something's going to leave. Either there'll be an right. ambush or there'll be like a boulder rolling and down the stairs. And the cool thing stairs. about leaving those tips is if someone hits your tip, decides it was a good tip, they can reward you for it. And if you're playing, you'll get a health, health top up. Which, it's great I mean, idea, isn't it? in, in Demon Souls, there were times where you'd be fighting a boss, you'd be down to the, the final sliver of health. You're just waiting to die again. Um, and then suddenly, bam, your health back you're up. Because someone game. like, mm. you know, half an hour down the road beforehand has come across one of your tips and it's helped them survive a situation and they reward you by like thanking you, essentially. The way I've so always got that sort of uh, described Demon Souls to anyone who doesn't know yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, there like, probably are a few Xbox people out there who are like oh, I don't really know Demon Souls that well imagine if um, you I mean personally you listening to this podcast right now were dropped into a world that was overrun with demons and monsters how long would you last probably not very long right I mean if you're anything like us you're, you're, you're not a hard man you know you're not, you're not you, gonna, don't, you don't carry a shotgun on your no, back no you're and, not uh, you know you're not Ash from uh, uh, Evil Dead or anything you're just, you're just not going to last that long uh, and that's Demon Souls. It's you with all your vulnerabilities dropped into this world and given a sword and some armor and expected to survive. It's a third person RPG. You'll walk around, you'll run into a bad guy, and the first bad guy you run into in the entire game will kill you stone dead with like two chops of his sword. Not Dark Souls, interestingly. You don't mm. die straight away in Dark Souls, but certainly Demon Souls. So. Yeah, and uh, so in in Demon Souls you'll you'll truck on and then you'll realise, okay, I've got to play this more smart. You'll 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 start holding your shield up in front of your face the whole time, moving slowly. Before you enter a new area, you'll look into it and you'll go, Well, is that You will never run into a new area. Exactly. Ever. You'll go, is that is that likely to be dangerous and of course it's likely to be dangerous it's <laughs> demon souls so you'll start you'll start plotting and you start working out where danger is likely to come from and you know what you're going to hear when this game comes to be reviewed is dark souls comes to be reviewed is a lot of people are going to be saying oh wow it's so hard it's so hard it's so hard and that's a really boring point to make because and we've said this in the podcast before everyone knows it's hard by this point but the question is, what does being hard do? What what make what's so good about being hard? Well, what being hard does is it makes it so immersive. It makes it so, again, you cannot 
lose focus on for even one second, just as if you were in this world yourself, knowing that if you drop your shield, someone might leap out of a dark cupboard and, and, and hack you up. Like you, if that was you, you would keep your shield up the whole time. You would be a big pussy and you would hold that shield in front of your face. You'd go, eh, eh, scampering through the world, trying to run away from anything which looked really dangerous. That's Demon Souls and that's Dark Souls. It's about being really scared of everything all the time. Mm. And in many ways, it's like, it's, it's a, a sort of a horror game. It's part of the survival horror because anything can kill you. And it's part adventure because you're always leveling up and you're making your characters stronger. And then, sure, once you do get stronger, then you can go back and batter those guys that were causing you a pain in the ass earlier on. But what you'll find is that as you play through constantly, you'll be seeing things that you legitimately just can't even think about approaching. Like there'll be dragons like really early on that if you it's, go anywhere near... It's funny, they, there was, absolutely they do came. build in ways that you can outsmart them. Like in uh, Demon Souls, in that very first area, everybody knows about. It. Was it the Blue Knight or the Red Knight? The guy who's yeah. uh, 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 he goes top of the tower. He's red. He's yeah. you to the right, and if he decides to chase you, you're in trouble. Yeah. But you can trick him into chasing you over a ledge. You can drop to a ledge below, and he will yeah. fall to the bottom of the pit, kill himself, and then you can get a really powerful item really early in the game. He killed like, me a few times when I uh, there's they, they're, they're, like, the design of Demon Souls is seriously but not smart. Everything, not everything you can approach. No. like later on in that level, there are dragons on there. Well, you know, there you are can't... people who've killed those dragons with something like three hundred arrows. Just stood there to- on the top of the tower, just pummeling with them with arrows. And madness. Um, so, so you got the messages. You've also got another system, which is essentially a replay system of other people's deaths. So when someone dies, like their last few seconds of life are, are sort of saved or in the server. And then when you come to, to their location, you'll spy blood on the floor and you can watch what happened to them. You can't see what attacked them, what killed them, whether it was a trap. You can see or what people. they were doing though. Did they have their shield yeah, up? Yeah, did they, they look to the right out? suddenly or like jump left? You can get an indication of how they met their, their end. And, and from that, you can infer what's going to come. And so what you've got, you've got this game that, yeah, it's, it is obviously really difficult, as we've said many times, but you've suddenly introduced this social networking aspect where you've got people like working together in their own individual single player games, but coming together in this mesh of That's collaboration. The game needs to be that hard because you've essentially you're pitting the game against the entire world. It's the community. Every player in the world who's on this game is working against the game. They're trying to beat the game and they're all collaborating together. The game facilitates that collaboration. So the odds are against the game. So the game has to be really tough to to beat those odds. And in the same way that Farmville, I think, has everything that's bad about social networking worked into the game and that's like the appeal. It's like, hey, you just got 10 more things here. Yeah, tell your friends and get your friends to like send you one thing here. Like in Demon's Souls, it's just things like that when you naturally play, like you can help others just by like when you die, that will save someone else's life. And when you know, like one of your mates dies, that's going to save your life because you'll know what happened to them. And, and you things. can leave your messages. I mean, it's it, just working together. And there, there is a real nice sense of community playing Demon Souls. A lot of people and take their time. It's funny. You need to, that sense of community as well because it's such a dark world. Yeah. Like if you think you've played a dark game, you you have not played a dark yeah. game, and Dark Souls is even darker, as I understand. Well, uh, yes and no. It's actually in places. It's like like in terms of actual just visuals. It's 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 not as it's an amazing world to be in. It's right? it's a gloomy, 
depressing land yeah. for sure. Like it's not somewhere you want well, to go on your holiday. A that's... friend of ours <laughs> who uh, works on one of the other mags here, um, he's a massive Dark Souls, uh, Demon Souls fan. He mm. loves Demon Souls. He's very much looking forward to Dark Souls. But he says he doesn't play the game unless he's got some music playing. Mm. He said you have to. He said otherwise it would just drag you down with it. <laughs> it's that kind of game, you know. It's, it's the most amazing, immersive, evocative world. Mm-hmm. It's just. You will never play anything else like it. You like you you can play like a dozen military shooters this year, or you can play one Dark Souls, and it's it's a special experience. To um to give you an idea about the sort of challenge up against people, and this this might be slightly skewed because obviously we we've been playing so far without the online component. Uh, there's actually uh, like a an email. A mass email conversation. The chain this, of pain, the, yeah, right? the chain of pain. This has, I, I've never known of this before in in the industry's past. But there's a chain of journos who, uh, sorry, a group of journos who are all in one email conversation, just offering advice, tips, are suggestions. I'm in on it. Can now. you see me in on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just like you know, rival mags and you know websites all working together. Like this is. The community is so strong, it's bringing everyone, all of us together in an email conversation, saying, oh, try this tactic to get this person, or watch out for this thing, or you pick yeah, up this you, ring, because this you ring this has item really early, and it will make you Yeah, and there are, there are a whole bunch of us just emailing each other now. Um, I say now, I, I'm starting this week, um, just offering tips and advice. It, it's, it's that powerful, a mm. game. Um, yeah, so, so the number's going to be slightly skewed, because we haven't got all of the online components that are open to us, um, which we will have next we will, week. We will buy the but same people listen to this though, right? There's, there's a guy uh, in the offer, I, I better not say who, but at the moment he's been playing for 60 hours and he's not even a quarter of the way through the game. And that's where the figure that is bigger in Skyrim yeah. comes mm-hmm. from. Yeah. For sure. Mm. So, sounds pretty good. Mike, you were at TGS, saw some other Japanese games there. A few had really good names. I think a lot of people have been waiting for us to talk about Gears of War, we should mention. We oh, will yeah, talk we about should. Gears of War. Uh, we'll talk about it at the end of the podcast because we're going to go into spoiler territory. We'll do the reader questions and then we'll talk about Gears. So you can, sw- you can switch off if you don't want to listen to anything to do with Gears. Yeah, um, but because- it will be worth you listening to if you uh, have not yet finished <laughs> Gears. So try and get, get that game finished and come back and listen to it because I think we've got some interesting things to say about yeah. it. So, TGS, Mike? Yeah, I played Fantasy Star Online 2. That's not coming to the uh, Xbox, so I'm not going to rag on about it, but man alive, that's a good game. I'm a big old Fantasy Star fan. So that was my first stop. I was like, you know what? Just purely selfishly, I'm going to play this game. It's great. It's great. You can play it like a proper action game. Uh, you can play it like a, the full-on grind it always was, the proper loot and shoot. You play it with 12-man parties, not four. 12-man parties! It's great. I loved it. I also played uh, stuff that's more relevant to uh, to the community. I chatted to Frank O'Connor mm. about uh, Halo Anniversary. He's actually going to be featured in an interview in a forthcoming issue uh, about, about Halo 4 and a follow-up to the um, the Tower to Tower story yeah. in our uh, in, a, in our the first of our relaunch issues. Uh, we actually asked, I asked Frank Frank if the uh, guys at three four three had managed to make the jump themselves because they said they were going to and. You had an interesting story to tell there. Right, I'm not going okay. to give it away. I'm going to yeah. make people wait for it. We'll yeah. put it be in the mag in a month or two. Um, we saw we saw some strange goings on at the uh, the, the Microsoft booth because you roll on by Microsoft stand and what you see is some Japanese people <laughs> having a really good time with Connect, like really and coming away from it and saying like if you ask them, say like, do you like Dance Central or whatever? Like, oh, I love it. Yeah, it's great. 
really, really fun. And you say, you say to them, are you going to buy it? Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, of course not. I read, funnily enough, I read a story, Wired ran a story yeah. in, on their website a few few weeks ago, which is exactly the same. Really? They did, yeah, they did an interview with a few Japanese people, and they, they the, this guy was playing wasn't dance central or something else and he came off connect and he was and the guys and he he'd been loving it he'd been yeah. there like for 10 or 15 minutes playing it, and the guy from wide said so you're gonna buy it it's like nah nah no chance you said it won't fit in my house yeah that's that's the problem yeah just, and i can believe that now having been to japan when like when they're still here when the stereotypes like, it is true tiny houses mm. really small uh you could fit like uh, some of the flats we were seeing over there you could fit the entire flat into my living room is mm. there they're small places and connect needs a big room it just does. It just needs that big room. And you can see it maybe you use it for four. The funny thing is, I actually went to um, Kyoto and went to the biggest, one of the biggest toy shops in Kyoto and they had a Kinect demo unit up, giving it loads of room. And what game were they running on it? Forza 3, not a Kinect game. Oh, they just did this demo in Forza because the Japanese players love Forza. They love them some Gears as well. Gears of War is really popular yeah, in Japan. Right. But it's weird. It's like there's a small community mm. of dedicated Gears players. In the same way that over here, there's like a dedicated community of like Blaze Blue players. Mm. Over there, there's a dedicated community of Gears players, of Forza players, and they love that game. Gears has been very influential on the Japanese dev scene. But oddly, like everyone you speak to t- seems to take a different thing away from it. Like yeah. at E3, I chatted to. Um, uh, the guy's making uh, Ninja Garden 3 and I brought up Gears no he mentioned Gears As and an uh, yeah so I said oh what is it in particular that you like about Gears it's like I really like the animation systems yeah and like you speak to someone else about Gears and it's like oh the the cover absolutely the cover and they're all all these devs yeah, looking at this game me, really but like taking very different things from mm. it which is which is really odd I find yeah that, that they're not just all collect, you know unifying all on one particular feature yeah there's there's, there's that very much that kind of uh, thing going on where there's like these hardcore communities dedicated to these games but the one thing that is absolutely a no go in Japan is Connect yeah no one's got the room for it and even though people seem to like it over they seem to like the idea of it I mean to be fair the 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 Xbox 360 didn't do as bad in Japan as the original Xbox did. Mm. They sold like 1.5 million, which is compared to like 6.5 million PlayStation 3s, I think, and 11 million Wiis. But what you do get is you go into a shop, and they'll have a big Xbox section. Like, make a mistake, the Xbox is is there. It's, It's definitely catered for. It's not like the original Xbox. You go into a shop, and what you'll see on the shelves is a load of copies of, um, What's the name of it? Ah, it doesn't matter. But these will be launch day games. And they'll have copies left over from launch day that they never sold, still sitting there. There's like a wrestling game, a Japanese wrestling game. And there's a... a oh, the Conveni. There's a Conveni 20XX, which is um, a convenience store simulator. Oh, right, yeah. Which uh, we did this little story on quite a while back, actually, when we were looking at some of the mad Japanese games which would never make it to the West. Well, that's a launch day game in Japan. There's another game which is like a board game, basically Mario Party, but for the 360. Yeah. And that they still have copies of that on shelves. Funny thing is, the cave shooters, Escaluda, Death Smiles, Dodonpachi, those are quite hard to find because I went over there looking for a copy of Escaluda 2, which is one of the few region-free Japanese games that I really wanted to get. Could have always import it, but I thought I'd get it cheaper while I'm over there. It was hard to find because it's the one game that people want to buy mm. and it doesn't come out on PlayStation 3 over there. It's in arcades and on Xbox. So it's an easy port to Xbox. And Cave, like, they're a small company. They can't afford to spend loads of cash porting to PS3. So they just port to Xbox and sell as many copies as they can. And those games are pretty tough to find. But there are, like I say, launch day games everywhere in Japan because... 
you can you can fill the shelves with them. I don't mean it's going to sell, mm. and he's going to sell at all. There's all, always copies of GTA knocking around. GTA's like again got a, a, a community around it. There's a lot of Western games, like big Western games, that have like a dedicated hardcore following, and a few people will buy Xboxes for those games, but most of them will just play those games on their, their yeah. PS3. Like it's the exclusives and uh, that you bring people to Xbox and in Japan the only two exclusives really do that are Gears and Forza Halo kind of has a community over there but smaller than Forza and Gears anything anything else you, to the catch funny your thing about TGS? TGS is that it's um, it takes a load of room but there's not a lot in it like it's just it's there's a load of big stands Capcom have got a massive stand Konami have got a massive stand Square Enix have got a massive stand but it's literally like you took E3 cut out nine tenths of the major publishers and then and then just ran a show based on it mm. I really like the access to the games like you could get on the press days you could get good access to any game you wanted basically I was I played a bit of uh, Metal Gear Solid played a bit of uh, um, 3DS Metal Gear Solid um, Snake Eater on 3DS mm. played a well they had Monster Hunter running there on 3DS which is basically impossible for anyone to play uh, particularly for Western journals, they're prioritizing Japanese journals because um, it hasn't been announced for the West yet. Right. And Monster Hunter is such a huge deal. Yeah. Over there, uh, you got to play with the new 3DS. I did get pad. to play with the new 3DS add-on slide oh, yeah. pad thing. Any good? Piece of shit. Yeah, it looked terrible. It is crap. It is so light and so hollow. I guess you guys would know this by now, but I didn't. When I first came to it, it was a surprise to me. They added three new buttons on top. So that's two new shoulder buttons and then like a Z button just above on the right. So you're holding this thing, which immediately places the device off balance because it makes the device wider on the right than it is on the left now. And the resistance on the analog stick on your right is much less than the resistance on the left. And the whole thing feels hollow and empty. There's nothing going on inside it. So... It turns your device into the ugliest, least portable handheld ever, and it feels cheap while it does it. Mm. Like, everything about it is bad. And the only thing I reason I can think why this device exists is partly because Capcom and Konami asked for it, but it exists because they're about to redesign the 3DS. They're going really, to launch a new 3DS next year with it built in. And this device exists so they can say, well, all of your existing games will run just fine when you plug this thing on. All of you know all of these new games that support two sticks. You can just take your old 3DS and plug it into this device. But for anyone who's buying a, a latecomer to the 3DS party, they're going to get a better device that has all of these buttons, these functions built in mm. as standard. Uh, as an early adopter of the 3DS, I feel thoroughly shafted on that. Yeah. And it also sheds a little light on things like the price cut. Well, why would you suddenly cut the price so soon after launch? Well, unless you're liquidating stock mm. and you're planning on shifting as many of those units as you can before you really you announce the new model, I can see it happening, I think. Mm. Because this device, it negates the entire point of a 3DS. It stops being portable. As soon as you plug this thing on, it stops being portable. It's like, you cannot, I can't stress enough just how thick this thing makes the, the handheld. Mm. It basically turns the thing into something that's as deep as a DualShock or a 360 pad. And it's massive and cheap and tacky and badly made. <laughs> Stick that on the box, Nintendo. <laughs> but also, when I was in Japan, I brought back some, uh, some 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 little crisps for you. Yeah, for you guys. While you're opening the crisps, just tell us about uh, tell us about the game with the be- the world's best name. 
What was it you read yeah, out yesterday? Someone needs, oh. to t- someone needs to tell Japanese developers that it's not acceptable just to take two English words that you don't understand and put them in order. Square Enix in particular. Square Enix, they love a bit of it, man. They love it, they love that. Do you mean infinite undiscovery? Infinite undiscovery, yeah. There's, like, one of those words isn't even a word. Yeah. Uh, well, so now they, they, Square Enix are back. For the people who brought you <laughs> infinite undiscovery, they've got bravely default flying fairy. That is one of the best game names I've ever heard. <laughs> the only thing is, I told you guys about this game yesterday, and I, so these the listeners missed it on the, the reaction, which was both of you rolling around hysterics. <laughs> yeah. Bravely, Bravely default. default. It just I sounds like a generic, like something they've just churned out. Like I don't think the name will survive to the West. But what is a better name is Kratz. Kratz, oh yeah. Anchovy and garlic. Oh, oh. no. Anchovy and garlic. Why's it got, why's it got beer back? on the back as well? Because you have it with a drink of beer. Oh, right. I thought, oh, it, maybe I thought it was beer flavoured. No, no, you wish. Oh, no. This is a. Uh, oh, no. Doesn't, can't say it smells great, but it's got nuts in there too. So oh, I can't got, have it. Oh, yeah, Pellet oh, can't have it. I feel like I've got I, I, jail I, I, here. I nearly killed Pellet then. All right, come on then. I'll what up. the hell is it going to do to your guys' bre- you guys' breath? I'm only having one. Freaking hell. Yeah. I, I can probably smell it. Can I smell it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, actually, it's not bad. No, it's all right. It's all right, actually. We're going to stink, though, isn't it? Smelly breaths. Mm. No kissing for uh, you uh, two. Now, what's going to bring back um, something even better, which is um, sweet and sour squid? Literally, it's just like a dead squid in a bag with some sauce on it. It's just like, you know, it's not chopped up. It's just fully a squid. I was like, that is just a job. But I remember Tim Weaver's delicate constitution. Yeah, my constitution won't take that. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll Tell hold you what, my hands up. Love I, I, yeah, uh, love them. I wouldn't have eaten a squid. Let's have a few questions then. Because um, we're doing things a little bit differently this week. So we've got some quite good questions, actually. Um, let's start off with the brilliantly named Soup Detective. Matt and I were both there commenting on what a great name that is. I'd like well to be done. a Soup Detective. It's a gamer tag as well. That's a good one. Uh, my favorite, the best, the best gamer tag I ever saw was a guy called Suspicious Package. <laughs> that is good. Uh, Soup Detective says, seeing as the end of the current console generation is now more or less in sight, what three titles do you think will be viewed as the definitive games of this generation? When we look back in a few years' time, Mass Effect. Mass Effect, yeah, Mass Effect. It says defect. can also include games that have not oh, been released. Yeah, sorry. Can also include games that haven't been released yet. Based on our expectations. The thing that defines this generation is um, the rise of RPGs, the rise of um, RPG mechanics in conventional games, the rise of uh, third person cover based shooters, yeah. rise of Unreal Engine. Yeah. Uh, and all three of those are exemplified by uh, Mass mm. Effect. Yeah. I think Mass Effect's definitely, definitely at the forefront. Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, for, uh, no doubt. Four, Modern Warfare. All of the Call of Duties, I think, no doubt. Mm. They, they, they if you pick one, it was Modern Warfare. Modern, yeah, War, Modern Warfare basically propelled Call yeah. of Duty into the stratosphere, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, We're going with the original Mass Effect, because I know two. Nah, Mass, Mass 2 and 3 will be. I don't know if I'm biased. I, I, I'm tempted to say Skyrim just because of what it's going to do. Oh, Skyrim sure and Oblivion. Yeah, Skyrim and Oblivion. Too. The thing is, though, this... And the this... thing which characterizes the generation, of course, is PC developers coming to console. Yeah. In a big way. Yeah. I mean, if it's just... Is it definitive games of the generation? Yeah. Is it just games of the generation or games that are going to, like... Define check, the generation, yeah. yeah. Yeah, games, when you think back to the Xbox 360, you'll be like, mm. oh, yeah, that was the one with... Um... It's like, this is, this is a generation like no other. Like, this is a generation of Super Mario Galaxy in Galaxy 2. 
Yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily say they've defined the generation, but have there been better games this gen? I'm not really sure. Oh, I still taste a garlic now. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? No, I don't think like Mario Galaxy says nothing about this generation. No, that's what I'm it's saying. It's a great it's, game, it's not but it's not, it's not game, indicative it's... of any trend this generation. If anything, it's a friggin' antique. When I, pl- like, when I played Mario Galaxy 2, I was like, man, this feels so old. I'm really enjoying it. I, like, I really enjoyed it every felt like, second of it. It felt, it like, felt like a game from the past. It mm. felt like a game, like taking stuff from previously, but absolutely perfecting it. Yeah, classic. without it's an absolute without, classic. with no room for improvement well, whatsoever. That's kind of what Street Fighter Four did as well. That's like you know they take a, a really old game and they just bring those rules up to the, the mm. present day. There's, there's been a lot on that this generation as well, kind mm. of a revival of yeah. the old of old stuff. Yeah. Even things like Deus Ex and so on, you mm. know. And, Bringing back things that were great, like so Syndicate's coming back and mm. in a very changed way. XCOM's coming back and again in a very changed way. You, there's an argument for saying Uncharted. You could, yes. you could say Uncharted. Ha- it will be one of the. Oh three. shit! <coughs> yeah, Uncharted. Uncharted two. The way it tells a story and stuff, it's like after Uncharted two came out, mm. everyone at Crystal Dynamics was like, "We got to go back to the yeah. drawing board, man." Because let's face it, Tomb Raider Legend Anniversary. Uh, and Underworld, three great games, yep. three really great games. Not a but patch on Uncharted. Is if anything, Anniversary is actually a better platformer than Uncharted. I mean, Uncharted's a better shooter, but Anniversary was a better platformer. But the way Uncharted tells a story and really sort of weaves the uh, the sort of the narrative into the action, yep. that's a lesson that anyone can anyone yeah, can really sure. learn from. I mean, it might be the the next uh, Team Raider game. Um, Last is it Last Guardian, yeah, like that. We could be like here next year saying mm. like that might be one. The thing um, is, I, I don't think, think his games ever ever define the generation because they're he just does his own thing, you know. He just does just mm. so he just goes ahead and does it. Does they don't, they don't actually define? They don't actually say anything about. And why I'm taking this, this question as is, is it games that say something about the generation? Sort of encapsulate the trends of the generation. Do you want to throw any Assassin Creed in there? Yeah, Assassin's Creed was big, man. It's, it's like the, the biggest IP, new biggest IP, new IP, yeah. Mm. I mean, you could even chuck stuff like Batman in there. It's just completely, in fact, what we've completely reinvented the, the superhero game, especially of what we've heard of the sequel as well. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah, we yeah. know the guy who's done the, uh, the first review of that game. And, yeah. oh, we probably can't say anymore. We can't say any more than that, but oh, we can say it's pretty good. Yeah. And we've all played it at some point or another, like yeah. bits and pieces. But so far, only a few people have played mm. the entire thing from start to finish, and they seem to like it. Mm. On a um, just on a tangent from there, Mike, I saw I happened to see on your Twitter feed last night you were discussing Resistance Three with someone. Yeah, uh, have you played much of it or a bit of it? Yeah, quite a bit of it. It's because um, because the person it, you were discussing with thinks it's pretty good, pretty it, pretty it's, good. It is. It's a lot better. I mean, right. Resistance has always been like crap. Yeah, <laughs> let's just be honest. It's been rubbish. Step up from Black Side. Yeah, yeah. The but, first one. So yeah, but it's like. Um, Someone said to me yesterday, oh, Resistance 3 is definitely the best first-person shooter on PS3. I was like, big deal. Mm. Like, that's, that's, that's not hard. You, know, that's, you, you can say that about any, any number of awful games uh, because it's going up against the likes of Killzone and mm. Resistance, which has never been good. Resistance, Resistance 3 is when they finally nailed it. The game's finally found its identity. It's finally found the story that it needs to tell. It's finally found like a really great environment, great mm. atmosphere. The first two are just sort of... They they did the kind of uh they did the, for the first game they just they made a really like decent shooter in some interesting locations and it was like oh, all right seven out of ten, the sequel 
came along and they tried to do the Gears of War bigger, better, and more badass thing by making by putting you up against like bosses and stuff that, that are the size the size of skyscrapers and stuff. And you're like, yeah. oh god, it's just and you're like, oh, boring now. Six out of ten. And you get to um, this third game and humanity's basically lost the fight. So you're just this one guy, this rebel, this lone rebel, like making his way on. It's a road. It's a road movie, mm. which gives them two excuses. It gives them an excuse to show you lots of America under the chimera, and gives you an excuse. Gives them an excuse to put you in a lot of really interesting fights along the way, where it's just sort of basically like you, you and a small group against these these enemies, and uh, it tells a, a a decent story. Looks beautiful. It's got a great vibe. It's got a great atmosphere. It's all its own. Good game. Yeah. Good game. Resist- Resistance finally got it right. It's funny because um, the, the conversation we were having over uh, Twitter with um, is with uh, Tim Clark, former OPM editor, Tim Clark. I was saying like, he was like, you know what? The new Gears doesn't really excite him. He's been playing it. He hasn't been having a lot of fun with it. So it just feels like the first one. Whereas Resistance 3 feels great. It feels new. It feels fresh. So the difference between those games is, what my point was, the difference between those games is Resistance 3 was rubbish back in 2006, 2007. Gears of War, well, 1 was great back in 2006, mm. 2007. So Gears of War got it right first time. And they just just done the same thing two mm. times over. Resistance 3 got it all wrong the first time and then they tried to fix it with the second one, went in the wrong direction. Got it wrong, eh? And they, yeah. then they got it right the third yeah. time. Yeah. You know, that's a funny, funny genesis for both games. Yeah. Um... Uh, hold on I did have a yeah here we go so uh, I've lost the question now it was a good one as well hold on there we go David Green says uh, what impact if any will on live have on the 360 and the industry at large on live of course yesterday right just launched yeah yeah. Uh, I saw a few people last night sort of tweeting about it saying that it's queuing up for it yeah the future of games is a long queue apparently well you know what it's like it's day one everything struggles on day one every new service that gets rolled out messes up on day one potentially quite exciting for the industry you think yeah not that excited by it well I've played games on live and it's an impressive service Uh, but it's okay if you're happy playing 720p games at the kind of YouTube resolution. Yeah. Because the way the game, the way OnLive works, if anyone doesn't know, is like, what it does, it's a, sp- a box with essentially no kit in it, or your PC, with no kit in it. It's just a connection to a, a server. It receives your inputs from the controller, sends those inputs to the game running on the other side of the city, and then the server sends video of you playing that game back to you. So you're basically playing a video of the game. But... In any game where you're not absolutely 100% dependent on controller latency, like Street Fighter, you couldn't do Street Fighter on it, you couldn't do a Twitch shooter like Quake on it, but you could probably do a Splinter Cell on it, like mm-hmm. a stealth game, you probably do a Batman on it, because the latency is tenths of a second, if that, you know? And you're playing a video of you playing, but we aren't, the broadband speeds ain't great in this country no. and even if they were you're still dealing with the, the big obstacle which is the speed of light which mm. it might not be an obstacle now pesky neutrinos yeah but um, the obstacle is the speed of light and the fact is you can't send data any faster than that to no. people so the servers have to be close to you to work and it's still, still taking up a lot of bandwidth because it's sending a video in 720p now Xbox can kind of do that. It's actually doing it pretty well. But what OnLive's outputting is essentially 720 video with the kind of resolution that you would get, not resolution, kind of um, compression 
that you get on a YouTube clip mm. at 720p. Mm. So yeah, it's 720 sized, but there's still a lot of artifacting going on. So it's not you're never going to play the game at its best mm. via this system. What you might get to do is play the games a little bit cheaper, uh, and we to play them the, the minute they're launched. You know. Yeah. I think what we can what we can say with a fair degree of certainty is even if it's not on live, this is the future of games. You know, not not necessarily the on live kind of structure, but the digital delivery of games is is the way it's going. We Absolutely. get a, we get a lot of we get a lot of emails and correspondence from from readers who say, you know, we've had one this month. Why why isn't Resi uh, being released on a disc here? The the reality is mm-hmm. the games publishers. Are quite happy for it to not to be released on disc here because it means they cut out the middleman. They cut out the game shops. They don't have to worry about the game shop. They don't have to pay the game and I mean, game station still, a premium. Yeah, publishers, are experimenting is, yeah. With, you know? yeah. publishers are still trying to keep those shops happy. Of course, you've got like I think it was Driver went on PSN the other day. Um, so Driver San Francisco, really good game actually, very good game. You can get in the shops, you know, forty quid, probably a bit cheaper now. Probably less. Yeah. You, or you can get it on PSN for the rather nice sum of. Fifty-seven pounds ninety-nine p. But I mean that'll 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 it will come down in the future. Someone asked, like, but, why are Sony yeah. sabotaging their own online store? And the answer to that simple: is they're because they're trying to keep shops happy. Mm. They don't. They, they they have an obligation to run a bit like to run every arm of their business well. They don't want people buying everything off of this thing for now. Mm. They just want it to be there and build that service. Because down the line, that will become the main yeah. service. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's fine if you've got, you know, an established audience of like a hundred million who are constantly going on PSN. But the fact is, they need the shelf space in shops yes. to sell most of their games. They do. Old, old Granny Smith isn't going to get a little Johnny for Christmas a game by going on to PSN. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> well done. And you know, downloading something in secret, no. it just isn't done. Uh, you know, next month, uh, out of nowhere, we shouldn't probably mention Crisis is coming to Xbox. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crisis yeah. one, the game that was impossible and on console, downloadable only. Yeah. Well, the, the the thing is, is that I agree with you. I think that you know they do need to keep the shops happy, but at the same time, they'd be quite happy to 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 disappear from shops because they'd save themselves out of a lot of money. And the advantage they've got on on you know via PSN and X, Xbox Live is they can. They can communicate directly with the player that way. They, have, they can build a relationship directly with the player. And they can charge whatever they damn <laughs> yeah. well please. Yeah. Once no one's competing, they can. I'm going to have one of these mints from you, by the way, because my garlic mouth is death. Yeah. I, still think, I still think, you know, to communicate directly with the player, each platform holder, and I'm, I think Microsoft in particular, needs to sort out their frigging dashboards. Good thanks. Um, because they're still messy, like, you don't. It is a struggle oh, just a to mess find of a advertising. Of stuff. Okay, when when you get being on on the connect, you can say what you want immediately, and it will supposedly take you to where you want to go. But I mean, trying to find stuff even on the marketplace for us can be a right drag. Sometimes. Well, hey, you know the, the new dashboard's coming. It's coming in. Uh, probably we've actually, got, we've actually got a question about it from uh, someone. You carry on. To, oh yeah, Bob Evans. who says, "What future changes are coming to the dashboard?" Well, the big new thing for the new dashboard is um, flagging up the kind of games you're playing and you want to play. So you can uh, you can be playing, I don't know, Forza 4, but be really looking, be wanting to play Halo Anniversary. Now, in the past, your buddies might not have sent you an invite because they're like, oh, he's obviously having fun playing Forza. He's not playing Halo. Just invite a bunch of people who are playing Halo. Well, now you can put on your profile and flag up, I'm playing this game, but I would like, I'm happy to accept invites mm-hmm. for all of these games. 
that's like the big new thing. And um, of course, the dashboard looks completely different. It's um, uses a whole new, it's a whole new, much more grown-up system. It uses the same kind of panels that are being used on Windows Phone, same kind of panels that are going to be used on Windows 8. Very uh, clean, elegant interface. You uh, scroll left and right to go through your different options now, rather than up and down. And then inside each of those spaces, there'll be lots of uh, lots of different functions. So you go to your games blade, and you're able to go straight to the shop, straight to whatever. It's amazing. I mean, I'd love for someone to map out the evolution of the dashboard because where we started in 2005, I think to it's where happened we've got on Wikipedia. Now, I think it was a... it's just. I mean, it's it's totally different. There's hardly any seeds that were sown in that original dashboard mm. that, that have made it through uncut. And yet, just... like you're saying now, you know, I. You know, the dash maybe the new dashboard sorts it out, but it's still a mess. You know, it looks really yeah, nice, there but are definite you know, they need to. They need. It's definitely more of a mess than uh, Sony's. Yeah, know, I mean, cross, you just you go through right like there. the the the. Um, if you well, certainly um, the new my my biggest bugbear with it is like you go into new releases, and you've got I can't remember how many new downloadable bits you get. Maybe twenty, maybe fifty, but a good seventy-five percent of them be rock band stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. You uh, start. All the bloody time, you start stuff, dance central songs. It's like they've got their own dedicated shop fronts. They've got a rock band shop and a lip shop and stuff. They should just be adding that content into those yeah. games to kind of preserve the, the... The actual interface is fine. It's just the, the, the way they've... Oh, yeah. The interface the is going to get better as well. And another thing they're adding is, of course, Connect support yeah. natively to the whole yeah. thing. The Bing so search can, is, is cool. The Bing search is amazing. So say you're like, oh, you know what? I friggin' like Batman. So you just sit there and go, Batman! You go Xbox Bing Batman. Yeah, you go Xbox Bing Batman, and um, it'll give you everything Batman related on the marketplace. Yeah. You go Xbox Bing Batman game, it'll give you the download for DLC. The um, the it's just it's a. Really, it'll also give you yeah. Lego Batman stuff as it well. It will give you Lego Batman. It'll give you like the animated Lego Batman shows they've got. Yeah, it's great. It's like you know, it's the connect the connect powered voice searches through the whole thing. I think it might work with the headset as well. Yeah. Uh, of course, you've got Connect controls. And now, finally, it is that kind of minority report interface where yeah. you swing yeah. your hand through the air and it would just cycle mm. through the dash. Finally. Instead, instead of holding, yeah. grabbing, sliding. Finally, Connect comes in useful for something. Yeah. yeah, and you've got YouTube coming as well to 360 yeah. at long last. That's good. BBC's good the big one, though. They've got to yeah. get the BBC. It's like they can, they can talk as much as they want. They really want the Xbox to be like a multimedia hub under your TV. This new dashboard really is the definitive step towards that. But until they get BBC iPlayer on there... Just explain to me, because I don't really understand this, why can't they just make BBC iPlayer an option on silver? I think it's Microsoft policy. I think think what's getting in the way is Microsoft policy. I actually actually put this question to Microsoft's UK Live guy, and he said, I just can't talk about what the obstacles are. So it's not like this question hasn't been asked, it's that Microsoft won't answer it. Because, the, the, you know, as we understand, you know, obviously the BBC is free, in inverted commas, mm. so they can't be seen to be... That's why they can't yeah. go on a paid service. Yeah, but, but well, I don't understand why I mean, they can't just sit it on silver. think it a coup for them to have... I mean, every, the others have got it. You think they, they're behind PS3 on this front? and we of all yeah. things got it. We, we had it ages ago, and it's just like, just stick it on silver, like... Stuff your policies like your policies are holding back your business, and yeah. at that point, I think when they need to realize like there's something fundamentally wrong with their policies when you've got people like Gabe Newell coming out saying like the system's rubbish, mm-hmm. like 
I hated Sony, but now like I love the PlayStation because it lets me do things that as a developer I need to do. Microsoft does not let me function in that way. And we're at the point in the generation now as well where the gold sub offers nothing above and beyond no. what the PlayStation's free. In fact, the, the PlayStation Plus service is pretty damn good when you see all the constant discounts they're getting. So Resi 4 HD came out this week and instantly it's half I, I price I don't know if it's ever Plus. worth paying a subscription to get discounts, though. I'm not, I'm not really sure about that either, but... What I would say is, uh, apart from the cross-game voice chat, which PlayStation will never be able to do because of the way RAM's allocated yeah. on the machine, apart from cross-game voice chat, PlayStation as online game per, on a game-per-game basis mm. is pretty good, pretty solid. It's as good and as solid as uh, it is, is on the Xbox. We are playing, paying a pretty hefty gold subscription, and I think we're quite getting our money's worth. Mm. So that's uh, the best of the letters this week. Um, I, I think we should probably just uh, obje- um, address uh, Andy Mo- Monahan on our uh, Monahan on our, uh, our forum, who says, "Do you guys still look at our forum?" Yes, we do. Yeah, we get quite a few questions from there. Yeah, we do. Um, Matt's we, on there a bit. We would say though, it's like Facebook's definitely a place. If you want an instant response, like yeah, we, we try. We, Facebook or Twitter is another great way to. Facebook has kind of for us evolved into a really, really good forum. There's a lot of good chat on there. A lot of people really. Yeah. Engaging with the topics of the day, you know. If you haven't liked us, like us because uh, there's loads of people on there having lots of, like Mike says, really interesting discussions. Yeah, definitely worth, definitely worth bookmarking. I was surprised myself at how it's taken off. Yeah. It's, it's become a real good place to hang out. So now we're going to talk Gears of War. So if you uh, haven't played it or you're waiting to play it for Christmas or you um, aren't that interested in Gears, then uh, then probably best to uh, switch off now. So thanks for listening up until this point. Um, for those who, who want to listen on, that's absolutely fine. Uh, but there will be spoilers, so, um, so just be careful of that. Um, Mike and Matt, you've been playing it. Both finished it. Both finished it. Uh, I did the review. Yep. Um, which will be out in the issue out next Wednesday, I believe. Uh, yeah, next week, yeah. Or uh, Thursday, next Tuesday? Tuesday, Wednesday. Sure. It's next week. Go buy it. 25th, anyway. 28th. Do you want to talk, talk about sorry. that? Yeah? Do you want to talk about what's on the cover or anything? Um, I guess we could, yeah. We could have a little... All, all the people we just told to tune out. Tune They've back in. They've already gone. Yeah, they've already oh, gone. Oh, no. Oh, spread the word. Uh, why don't we just say... We'll save it for the next podcast. That's okay. fine, because, yeah. Yeah. But um, So, reviewed it for next issue. I I really enjoyed it, but it's sort of it's gears again, yeah, with very little beyond. Now, in the review and certainly on here, I'll be saying the online portion. It's gears it, it has holds an impressive it package. We can say yeah. it has an impressive. I'm not. I'm package. not going to say it goes as far as rescuing it because I. I think that would suggest that there was something fundamentally flawed with the campaign. There's nothing to rescue, right? The campaign's yeah. really good. It's, it's, it's very solid. But I think the online for me really stood out as being like the best portion of the game. The, uh, I think what Mike and I particularly want to talk about is, is the campaign and a few um, niggles that we found with, with the campaign. Now, obviously, it's, it's a pretty nice length. I mean, it's the le- best part of 11 hours. It's a good chunk of game. I finished it in one day. So yeah, I think it's 11 same. hours. Oh, no, it, it was because, um, well, I was timing it pretty much with, uh, um, well, no, 10 and I, a half. I finished it better and faster than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's five acts long. Two of those acts are completely redundant. They're completely pointless. From a storytelling point of view, they're completely pointless. I mean, they were fun. They were fun. Yeah. I had fun shooting things I in them. I had fun playing them. But, but it is, uh, Gears of War 3 is the worst written 
AAA game I've played since Mirror's Edge. The writing is a joke. It is atrocious. There are plot holes you could drive a battleship through, and we were about to. Um, there's all of the supposedly emotional moments suck. They suck. I, the I, 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 I wouldn't quite go that far. I did Don like some dies, of it. I and d- the only reason that moment has any emotional significance whatsoever is because they lay the music on so thick. Like, I, yeah, that was so cheesy, that moment. But I do like the fact that it finally helped it fulfil a promise they set like years ago. Like, I asked... That stupid fact, bloody song. In fact, on the next... No, not on the next episode. The episode after next of episode well, of Xbox World TV. Episode 3, which you guys uh, can view when you buy the mag end of October. Uh, we've got an interview with Karen Travis, the writer. Who famously doesn't read books. Who doesn't read books. Doesn't read books. No. Doesn't read books. She's the writer of the <laughs> Gears of War novel and the Gears of War 3. So what does she do then? Reads comics and... Uh, yeah. Watch movies, magazines, and uh, she, um, she's getting the weaver face of disapproval. <laughs> she she, uh, she said it in an interview with I think. Uh, Game she Spot said it in, Game a, in an interview with me as well. Oh, That's unbelievable. Um, she um, she said like she got interested in gears. Like the the the, the nugget that really got her interested in gears was the Mad World advert. The shit nugget, and it absolutely <laughs> it absolutely shows. And in a way, it's nice that in a funny turn of events, it's turned out that that advert comes into fruition yeah, like, yeah it does become something because when dom dies they play mad yeah, yeah. yeah and, and it's all slow mo just it's literally like a child's version of emotion it's like okay it's what would elicit an emotional response dom dying but it doesn't really elicit an emotional response because he spends the first three hours of the game moping around. I hated Dom in Gears 3. I was glad he died. Forget that guy. Like, he he spends the entire game moping around, being miserable. He's barely got any lines. Yeah. You never get to like him. You never get no. to know him. So when he does kill himself, there's no emotional attachment. So what do we do? Oh, let's get, um, let's get uh, R.E.M. to sing Everybody Hurts over it. Because <laughs> that way it'll feel really emotionally significant. Oh, wait, we know. We can't get Everybody Hurts. Let's get that Mad World song. That's emotional as well. That'll, that'll jerk some tears. And that's how they lend emotion to the scene. It's the oldest trick in the book. Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> does he, uh, he? He doesn't kill himself. He, he sacrifices he? He himself to save others. Here's my problem. And when I when I played it, um, like straight away, I noticed this, and I thought it was off. And I thought, no, you got most of our readers will as well. Well, maybe I, we'll, we'll throw it out to yeah. them um, but I asked a couple of other guys who were reviewing it alongside me whether or not they picked up on it and they kind of just looked at me with blank faces so I thought oh, maybe I'm imagining it so when Mike came back from Japan and, and borrowed the game uh, you know we had this yeah. discussion and the minute I came back to Matt I was like did you notice the ma- ma- Matt said to me did you notice the massive plot hole and I was like what the one about the fuel <laughs> he was like yeah it's you know, like two fifths of the game yeah. is spent in pursuit of something you don't need. Yeah, so, so here's the thing: you need to get to an island. To get to an island, you need a submarine. To make the submarine work, you need fuel. There are five acts in the game, two of which are spent solely looking for fuel. Act three, you go to at, a town for fuel. At the end of fuel. one of those acts, Dom kills himself. You go to town to get fuel. Yeah. So act three. So you go to a town. Uh, you go to find some fuel. You find um, some fuel, admittedly, yeah. but it's all like rigged to blow. Um, you, f- you find, you f- you find you a have, lot of fuel as well. Yeah, you find, you, 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 you find some things. Anyway, at the end of the act, 
you know, Marcus and Anya and everyone else are surrounded. They can't really get out of the situation. Only Dom saves them by driving a truck into a petrol station, destroying the fuel they need, but letting the guys jump off the top of the petrol station in time to escape. I would, and I would, yeah. just like and could have just slit his wrists. I would say during that section, I was sitting there thinking, well, you know what? I've been playing Gears for a few years now. I've got out of worse situations than this. Yeah, uh, I've got worse situations, and there's only two of us. There's four of us now, so I reckon we could probably get out of this. I, I what I do want to know is the fact is that they they jumped off the roof anyway without Dom doing anything. It wasn't until they jumped off and rolled out the way that he blew it up. Yeah, could they not have just jumped off and buggered off? Or got in the truck that Dom was driving yeah. and driven away with Dom. Because he didn't do anything until he actually hit the, the petrol station. No. Pricks. It's a, it's so. the, whole, the whole sequence is completely devoid of any emotion so I, because think, there's so many logical inconsistencies about it. So Marcus's best mate, dead already in this search for fuel. Yeah. That's all right because there's one other place. You've they sacrificed say there are two the, the second most important character in the game yeah. in pursuit of... So you go, to this, you go to this other place for fuel. And I... If, Honestly, it's, great, it's one of my favorite moments in all of gears. Like when you get there, it's it's like uh, Pompeii after Vesuvius went off. Mm. There are just ash people everywhere. By the way, you can shoot and chainsaw the the kids. Yeah, but it's not. As, it's not you, really. You came in and was like, "Oh, it's like I was chainsawing kids and women last night." I was like, "What?" And he said, "Have a look at this." And I watched it. <laughs> it was just, it like, it was just I, a puff of ash. I, I, I was just seeing the headlines in my head. Yeah. I thought, "Oh, wouldn't the Daily Mail love that one?" Um, so, but even so, it's a really nice environment. There's some traps set up early on. It's all scripted. You can't really die from them. And I would then, have liked. I would have liked more traps. And then you meet Ice T. <laughs> so, so, so you meet this guy fully playing himself. <laughs> so you meet this guy, and he says, and and you say we need fuel, and he was like a fuel baron. Um, now this is a city that was glassed when um, the cogs brought the the gears brought the hammer of dawn down on it to destroy the locusts. So they they already don't like you. Um, so but you said look, we need fuel, and then we'll get out of your way. He's like, well, I've got fuel, but to get it, you need to do some things for me. You need to first first of all, they've got like uh, this this transport system, which is essentially an upside down bus running along a cable. The fuel's on, the fuel's on a cable two, car across yeah, this ravine. The guys who are supposed spaces. to bring it back didn't so he's like i need you to go over there yeah, bring it right. back so he says you need i'm sure i'm sure he says need you to get my cable car and turn the fuel back on like give me the fuel i don't back. remember that part i just remember, him, sure I just remember him needing to oh maybe he did i don't know but it doesn't matter either way basically he just needs to so you go over back. you get the cable and he'll car. give you some of his fuel he says i'll give yeah. you some of my fuel you go over you get the cable car I, i'm sure i'm supposed to like turn the fuel on as like give give him the means to get the fuel so marcus is like done the job and I, i'm sitting there thinking no you haven't you've got the car but you haven't Again, I'm not uh, sure either way, part, either way, it doesn't really matter because you get back and the guy's like, oh, well, tough shit. Because when you were gone, uh, the bad guy showed up, they killed everyone but me. Uh, so it's just me left now. So thanks very much. He gets on the cable car. He sticks up his middle finger and, <laughs> and, and <laughs> rides away. Are <laughs> you like, hang on a second. I've got a gun with a chainsaw on it. Yeah. I can take all of that fuel <laughs> if I want. Bear in mind, I've just lost my best friend. Guy, my character's calling his brother. Lost him in pursuit of fuel. Now I'm letting Ice T wander yeah. off with all of the fuel. And this, this is like this is the last, last chance for fuel. This is the, this is the, you cannot. This is the only other place they could possibly go for fuel. 
but wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's gone. And like Marcus doesn't even attempt to stop him. He's just like, see ya, rides off very slowly. It's like, just like, really there's four of you with giant guns. I'm sure there's like a there's like a film or something where, where Oh, it's like that bit in um in Dodgeball when uh, when <laughs> Stiller turns up to the, the house in his stupid like all in one yeah. and he gets on the back of that moped with that you remember that? He gets on the back of the yeah, moped yeah. and he goes, See you later. And he gives him the finger and he drives off very slowly on his moped and he's just like, <laughs> just like stand, staring at them. So Marcus I is... I can't believe when he told me so that. So for some I mean, reason, ending. Marcus what is... A, um, uh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, I was going to swear then. Let me just pull that <laughs> pull the F word back. Yeah. So for some reason, Marcus is like happy to let this guy go. Yeah. So like, oh well, let's go to the sub. They get to the sub. But and when they've got no fuel, how are they going to yeah. fuel the sub? And Dizzy's like... So we need a rotor and some fuel. Uh, there's some fuel over there. <laughs> yeah. So you spend two-fifths of the game in pursuit of something that was just knocking around at the yard anyway. Unbelievable. That is... Unforgivable. Absolutely unforgivable. I mean, what, what? I, I'm not a guy who's big on story and To games. be honest, at the moment-to-moment storytelling, I sort of enjoy it. I didn't think it was that... that it did that bad a job. In some ways, I thought it was better than the other Gears games. I felt more invested in the story this time I think it was better than the other Gears games. Than the still previous really games. But that plot hole, for me, is just well, terrible. I, I don't need a good story in a game, generally speaking. But if you're going to do it, all I need is for you to give me a reason to shoot yeah. things. It's like the movie Commando, right? It's a really dumb movie. Yeah. But at the beginning of the film, Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter is kidnapped. Yeah. And he's like, what's your reason for shooting everything, Arnold? My daughter's been kidnapped and I'm trying to get her back. That's, that's a great yeah. reason. That's a good reason to murder everybody. Yeah. Well done. This, your reason for killing everything for two-fifths of the game is completely redundant. Mm-hmm. There is no need to kill anything. Yeah. You could have gone somewhere else or Could long. have gone straight to the sub. Mm. Straight to the sub. What What would have been an, an interesting question to ask Karen Travis if, if you'd finished mm-hmm. the game um, at that point, you know, yeah, when you interviewed it, would be, um, would be, you know, how... How that st- story, how she came up with that storyline, in relation to where how the game was shaped. I mean, did she come up with that storyline before they even, you know, had really kind of got going with the development, or was it kind of retrofitted around what they already well, had in well, place? Because said- to me, it sounds a little bit like the story's been retrofitted because there's just no way you'd present that story up front and say, here's my script and everyone would go, that's a great she, script. She said that the options open to her, it was very limited because after two games, like certain things had happened. So there was only a couple of things they could really do with the tale. Um, in terms of the actual is specifics that right, though, of the is, that, is that true? I mean, you can do anything you want. Well, I mean, yeah. all, they, all they had to do in the version of the script they had was say, and at the end of Act 4, Ice-T rides off into the distance, leaving behind some fuel for yeah. the gears. And like, and then, and then when you get to the, the submarine yard, where, gear, where Epic have already plotted out an entire sequence where you're going after fuel, say, it's not, they're not going after fuel, they're going after a fuel tank. They, yeah. need, they need a tank, because the tank yeah. is ruptured. We're not being really dumb, are we? That didn't actually happen. Like, it legitimately did end with them going without fuel. Yeah. Like, there wasn't a subtle thing where he was like, I'll take it or something. And they I hope not, because we'll look like massive pricks if we, if we got it all wrong. <laughs> but no, I, I, I'm sure that's what happened. Because there was no reference. Like, when he's like, I'll go get the fuel, they had to go to a tanker. Yeah. Like, we banged on about this for too long now. It's a small, anyway, it's a small point, but it does, it's just stupid. It's Plus, what the hell is up with the metallic centipede with a glowing ass and an electrified yeah, mouth? Yeah, that was crap. That's things that's that moves as fast there's, as you can. There's no, th- there's no fun in fighting that thing. Who the hell thought, 
we need a new enemy. Let's get metallic centipede with an electrified mouth and a glowing ass. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's well, brilliant. Well done. What the, about the, the final boss fight goes on too long as well? Yes. What about claims of, of familiarity then? We've had a question about it. Harrison Weir says, do you think well, the gears are overly familiar? Here's yeah. that thing I was saying earlier, man. Gears got it right in 2006. Yeah. It got it right. And it's just been doing the same thing ever since. It's basically the shooter equivalent of a FIFA. Mm. And they do a little update every year uh, or every other year. And... It's still a great game. I really enjoyed yeah. all the shooting. Yeah. I did like the siege bit in the middle of that game in really Gear Three was brilliant. Mm. What a great shootout that is! And I think it's completely scripted. You're always going to get driven back to the main area. Hey, maybe not. Maybe we find out you can hold them to, to, to the front line. No matter what happens, it's a really good sequence, a really yeah. fun sequence. Mm. There's plenty of good shooting in that game. So the new, but the new bad guys. They're fun to fight as well. Yeah, the majority are pretty decent. I love the little corpse guy. Yeah, they're they're really fun to fight. And there's sections where you just get like loads of zombie guys running at you, and you're like, brilliant! I get to go wild with my with my shotgun, and it's like it just really lets you have a laugh with all the guns and everything. Nicer level design than the Gears Two as yeah. well, because Gears Two was set entirely underground. I think. I think the four player thing does introduce a couple of problems. I did find my my teammates to be a little bit clumsy too at times. As well, though, aren't you? They're, they're bullet sponges. They can revive you pretty much every it's single time. It's hard to die in Gears Three. It is. Which I kind of find refreshing, I guess, because um, like I died a lot in Gears One. But I'm playing on hardcore the first time, and it's it's the easiest Gears yeah. yet, no yeah, question. Because sure. you can be revived basically from ever from anything, and the enemies soak up less bullets than they used to. What's more, they've got twice as many bullets coming at them. So it changes the, the sort of pace of the game. But ultimately, Gears is Gears. It hasn't changed, and it's still good, and I had fun with it. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, there's the Gears spoilerific uh, part. We, uh, we hope you uh, have enjoyed listening to it. Do let us know what you think of Gears. We'd like to hear what your, your, your take on Tell it is. Tell us how you're getting on with Horde as well. I'm really yeah, interested yeah. people are getting on, because Horde is still a hoot. Yeah. And yeah, they've yeah. made some changes, some improvements. I really like I those I think changes. Horde is significantly better than Beast. Beast has its... I don't think Beast is that bad. good. It, the thing about Beast is because you're always on a clock. You always feel rushed. Yeah. And to me, the fun of Gears has never been in the sections when you're rushed. It's in the sections where you're like... I'm gonna, I'm gonna lock this guy down, suppress him, send my buddies around this way. They're yeah. gonna go and flank him. So in those sections, in Beast, you just feel like, okay, I'm a hulking monster, and I'm just gotta quickly run there with a ticker before the. Yeah, but let us know what you think. What do you think? Yeah, we definitely like to hear. So, thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed uh, this podcast, and uh, and do get in touch with us via the usual channels, as always: uh, Facebook, Twitter. You can uh, post on our forum, or you can email us at xbw at futurenet.com. Otherwise, we'll uh, see you next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.